Well, good evening. Um, it's always uh, an utter pleasure to take part in this event because it's uh, named after a mathematical equation, 5 by 15. Who couldn't resist uh, uh, having uh, taken part in such an invitation uh, for such an amazing event? Although, actually, we're going to have to redefine tonight's equation because uh, we're actually aiming for an hour. So I guess we're 5 by 12 rather than 5 by 15 tonight. So, um, And we've set ourselves, uh, Carlo and I are going to, try and explore one of the great theories of science, uh, quantum physics. Um, so brace yourselves um, out there. Um, a, a little warning from some of the masters of quantum physics. Uh, uh, Heisenberg wrote, uh, I repeated to myself again and again the question, can nature possibly be so absurd as it seemed to us in these atomic experiments? Einstein declared, if it is correct, it signifies the end of science. Schrodinger said, I do not like it, and I am sorry I had anything to do with it. But let's uh, take heart from what uh, uh, Feynman uh, said when you're trying to embark on this rather challenging uh, task of trying to understand this extraordinarily uh, absurd times theory. I'm going to tell you what nature behaves like, and hopefully Carlo will be doing that tonight. If you will simply admit that maybe she does behave like this, you will find her a delightful and entrancing thing. Do not keep saying to yourself, if you can possibly avoid it, but how can it be like that? Because you will get down the drain into a blind alley from which nobody has yet escaped. Nobody knows how it can be like that. But tonight we have the most amazing guide to this extraordinary theory, uh, together with a wonderful guidebook. Um, Carlo Ravelli is going to try and take us through this extraordinary theory, beginning of the 20th century through to the current day. And so, Carlo, it, it, I mean, what a wonderful title, Helgoland, and uh, the cover just makes it look like a novel. You immediately want to pick up and, and, and take a journey to this place. Um, so I wonder whether you could set the scene. Where is Helgoland and, and why is it so important for the beginning of this story uh, for physics? Thank you, Marcus. I think your, 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 your introduction to quantum theory was perfect. Uh, uh, that's exactly the way uh, I, I, I view quantum theory. It's, it's, it's probably one of the greatest steps ahead uh, for humankind to understand nature, and yet something uh, still mind-blowing. And uh, that uh, I think we can say, as, as a whole, we haven't understood it yet in some sense, in some, some sort of sense, in spite of it being, being uh, at, at the basis of current technology used all over, at the basis of modern science. Helgoland, I, I chose Helgoland as a starting point uh, because uh, uh, quantum theory has a slow birth. Uh, somehow, it, it took uh, it took a few decades to to come out from the first experiment to the first uh, uh, germs of ideas, uh, the first ingredients that were put together. It started at the beginning of the century with Planck, and then uh, somehow it it has grown, and 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 the applications are still growing. Of course, I mean the extension to uh, special relativistic quantum mechanics and so on. However, there have been a, a precise moment in Helgoland in nineteen. 25, uh, where the key step that you're referring to happened. So until 1925, uh, uh, 
some of the equations that now we call equations of quantum theory had already been written down. And uh, uh, some of the strange fact of nature's uh, had been observed and, uh, and, and physicists were working on that. In fact, Bohr in Copenhagen in, in his group were, was already able to you know, predict properties of atoms that had not been observed yet using quantum ideas. I mean, he got the Nobel Prize for work done before that uh, on quantum ideas. Um, but everybody expected that, that uh, uh, it was just uh, you know, pieces of some new laws, some new equations, some new, um, some new forces, uh, uh, something that uh, fit in the, in, in the classical view of the world that uh, uh, with a certain evolution, but had worked so well until that point. Um, and in Helgoland, this kid, 23 years old, uh, Heisenberg, uh, made a calculation and got an idea uh, which totally broke with uh, the old way of viewing things, remarkably, uh, astonishingly, astonishingly, in just one step. And he was aware of that. He was aware of the absolute radicality of what he was doing. Um, and he did two things. First of all, he invented a way of doing of computing things. Very strange, um, but based on some idea. And the idea is that, of course, the question was atoms, why atoms behave the funny way they, they do behave. And his idea was not to describe the atom itself. The atom roughly was already understood that is a nucleus and some electrons that go around. So the simplest atom hydrogen is just one single electron that goes around the, the nucleus. And the way it goes around determines the properties of the atom. So if you describe the way it goes around, you sort of figure out how the atom behave. And nobody was able to connect this, what we knew about this electron around the atoms and, and, and some fundamental equations that we could understand. And Heisenberg makes this step. He says, all right, forget about describing what the electron does. Just describe the way the electron affects us, how we see, what we see. So he brings in this strange notion, which is still hunting uh, the physicist and the philosopher, which is the observer. When the observer sees an atom, he sees this, he doesn't look, and then he sees again, he doesn't look, he sees again. And, and the thing is telling me what I'm gonna see and not what is gonna happen when, um, when I don't see. And this is already in, in, in Heisenberg. He writes this paper, short paper, uh, in which he says, I'm gonna do a new quantum mechanics where I only talk about observable quantities. So not where the electron goes. So there's no new force, there's no new, um, sort of equation of motion for the electron. It's all the, only, the old stuff. Uh, just the idea of using a different sort of mathematics, which doesn't describe the electron in itself, but describe the way the electron affects us. And so instead of a position of the electron, here's a, a table of numbers. Um, one per each uh, jump from one orbit to the other, because Bohr had understood that what we observe is when the electron changes orbit. So he says, all right, instead of the position, I label the initial orbit, the final orbit, when I see a photon coming to me. Um, Einstein called this a, a witchcraft uh, 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 algorithm. It works. It works fantastically, it's still working. It's quantum mechanics, it goes back with his friends. Um, he, he, he put up the theory. Um, I think Max Born 
it uh, was his uh, senior uh, person in Gottingen where, um, where Heisenberg was working. Uh, it, it's one of the real mind on, on the building of, 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 of quantum mechanics, probably not fully recognized. And with Born and, 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 and uh, his good friend Pauli, his friend uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Jordan, and independently in the UK and Iraq, uh, this new theory comes out. It's 1925, there's a new mathematics, strange, absurd, as you say, how can nature be so absurd? But that's, it's the basic of all modern physics, so to say. And here we are, 100 years later, trying to understand what the hell did this guy understood in this island. I mean, there was a big philosophical change in some sense when Heisenberg says, hey, look, let's stop describing, trying to describe what we're not seeing. Let's just take the information we have, the, obs the observables, and it's using those ingredients, which he then puts in this kind of array, uh, you know, uh, the, the jumps that can happen that, that seems to be that breakthrough. But he must have, uh, I mean, that, I mean, you describe it so lovely and nicely in the book, that, that early morning feeling of, wow, this just seems to be working, this mechanics. I mean, it's something quite mathematical, the idea of matrices. I mean, I'm not sure how much did physicists at the time, uh, were they sort of familiar with this thing that they would have to become very familiar with? Uh, they were not, and he uh. was not. In fact, he didn't know about matrices. Amazing, <laughs> gosh. Uh, he came back and it was Jordan. Uh, it was a, a, another student of, uh, of Max Born, who was a mathematician. Uh, who basically knew something about matrix theory. It's quite funny because uh, at the university today, everybody studies linear algebra. And uh, we're sort of told that linear algebra is such a basic thing that it's obviously the basis of everything. Uh, vectors, matrices, linear transformations. Uh, nobody studied linear algebra <laughs> I mean, 100 years ago in, uh, in, uh, in, in Germany, in the UK. Um, he, he didn't recognize that his multiplication is the standard multiplication of matrices. So nice. he just added labels. He had variables with label, discrete labels. So instead of X position, he has X with some little indices, uh, uh, one, two, three um, uh, below. And he was computing with that without exactly knowing what, uh, what he was doing. And the point was, uh, can I calculate, sort of simply replacing variables with these tables of number, can I calculate a quantity? Um, what he actually wanted to compute is, is, is the orbits of Bohr, the discrete orbits that the experimentalist uh, had discovered and was completely incomprehensible, uh, uh, the electron around the, the, the atom can have, this is special orbits. Um, Bohr, uh, Bohr, Niels Bohr had uh, understood that you, what you see is just jumps from one orbit to the other, but why, why these orbits, why these jumps? So he, what he does, which is spectacular, is just take the standard equation of physics, not new equations, just the old equation, the electric force that attracts the atom, the electron to the atoms. And with those equations, he wants to compute the, this, this special orbit. Of course, he cannot, it's too difficult. So he simplifies the problem, an analogous problem in, in, in uh, simpler, where you would expect the an, an analog will happen and use this, 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 this matrices to compute things and it comes out all right. 
So he's so excited. And in fact, it doesn't come out all right because he's too excited. So he starts <laughs> making mistakes in the calculation. Uh, so he makes mistakes. He goes back. He gets more excited. He corrects the mistake, gets more excited. So he made more mistakes. And he goes deep in the night. He, he tells that in his story. Until sort of 3 o'clock in the morning, he says. Uh, and he gets to the final calculation. And bingo, he gets exactly the, 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 the energy levels that experimentally somehow um, was, was expected. So he realizes that uh, here it is, I found some secret of nature. And it's true, he has found the secret of nature. Yeah, I, I think and it's he, one of those stories when you tell it, you think, gosh, I, I, I just, I would love to have been there or I'd oh, yeah. you know, love to, ex you know, those are the moments that we all hanker for as, uh, as, as kind of uh, uh, scientists, I think. Yes, I and little... let me just add one thing. Yeah, sure, he, yes. Three o'clock in the night, he doesn't go to sleep at this point. He goes out. He climbs a rock because this is a little island, very rocky, windy, no vegetation. He goes up in the night and wait for the sunshine to come up uh, over the ocean, uh, immersed in this emotion of having been the first in humankind, having seen something deeply new about nature. Perhaps we'll go from Helgoland to the top of the Alps next, where uh, another scientist makes a, a different discovery, which we find out is the same in the end. But uh, but perhaps you could give us a little inkling of, of Schrodinger's kind of take that he discovers um, whilst he's there with a lover, I seem to remember. Um, uh, what's Schrodinger's kind of take on how to understand what's emerging here? Um this is one year later, we're in 1926. Um, and uh, Schrodinger is uh, still young, not as young as, as, uh, as um, uh, Heisenberg, but, but still very young. I mean, a few years later, they, they, they all go to get the Nobel prizes accompanied by their mothers. Just to, <laughs> just to say, there's this beautiful picture of all these young kids you know, getting the Nobel prize with the mother around. Fantastic. <laughs> right. So, um, uh, Schrodinger, uh, it's uh, uh, it, it has a similar step, uh, so very similar, very different. Um, he also is in a very strange situation. He's not in a physics department. Uh, he's uh, uh, Schrodinger is a funny character. He's always being, uh, how would I say, in love with women and many at the same time, and uh, managing uh, in this way through all through his uh, uh, his life. Um, I, I think we chucked him out in Oxford for being far too racy at the time. So um... <laughs> that's right. That's right. You didn't. You guy didn't. Uh... <laughs> no, he couldn't cope. <laughs> no, he couldn't cope. In spite of British uh, sort of uh, unconventionality, he was too unconventional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, he was there with a lover. He, he went to the mountains to, with a lover, uh, a young woman from Vienna whose name is still unknown. Uh, mm. it's, it's mysterious who is this, uh, this woman who was with him. An old friend, that's what, what he re referred to as something. Um, and somehow during the, they, they had a cottage in, in the mountains um, and spent some time there. And he came down, he came back uh, with a new result. Um, which is some, something in common with Heisenberg and something different. And somehow this fact that there's something in common, something different uh, can be seen as capturing the, the entire discussion about quantum mechanics, which is still going on hundred years later, because he also could end up computing the same thing that Heisenberg was able to compute. But instead of, uh, uh, of just thinking about observables, uh, he did something else. 
he also had the idea that we should make something completely radical and to forget about the electron and the force. Uh, and it's not just another force. It's not just another equation of motion for the electron. The electron is really something else that we didn't think about before. And his idea inspired by um, thesis by a Frenchman that Einstein has indicated to him is that the electron is a wave. So there is a, there is a sort of field like the electric field, which oscillates waves like the surface of a, of a lake. And the, the electron is oscillations of this, um, um, of this field. And uh, so this, is, this, this, this field is what today we call the wave function. Uh, and, uh, and he writes an equation for this, uh, uh, for this wave. And this is the famous Schrodinger equation, which is still uh, talked in quantum mechanics uh, books. And the Schrodinger equation can be used to derive the same numbers that, uh, um, that uh, Heisenberg and his friend turn out to be able to, uh, to compute. So that is a funny situation because a big mystery, great mystery for decades, you can, don't understand atoms. And suddenly you have two ways of computing everything completely different. One is about observables and the other is about a wave. So people start fighting and discussing and uh, what the hell does this mean? And uh, Schoeninger is able to prove that mathematically the two pictures uh, in fact are essentially the same, very consistent, get the same number. So it's reasonable to get the same number because the same mathematics. But what is this wave? Yes. And what, what are the observables? What, what's the point here? And Schrodinger is very, so I, Schrodinger in my book is the, the hero and the bad guy at the same time. Mm. Uh, the hero, because obviously, I mean, he has been not only one of the main contributors, contributors to quantum mechanics, but also one of the deepest mind to discuss that. So many of the things that I say actually come from Schrodinger. The bad guy, because this wave, uh, I think, and here we're shifting a little bit toward my own perspective on quantum mechanics, uh, is misleading. As Schrodinger himself realized years later, the idea that the electron is a wave, um, it's very misleading and it misleads our imagination. The reason is being very simple. Of course, there's something wavy and the electron is not in a point. In some sense, it's, it's all over, like a little wave. Around the atom, there are these orbitals that we see in, in chemistry books, which is where the wave is excited around the atom, just funny shapes. But Every time we see the atom, this, the electron, we don't see a wave, we see a particle. So yeah. when the wave arrives on a screen, it's just in one point. So it's not that the wave solves the mystery of quantum mechanics, it's the other way around. The wave rephrases the history of quantum mechanics. If there's something waving, why when this arrives on a screen, just this big wave whoop, collapse in a single point? And that's another way of, of, of um, of rephrasing the same mystery because the screen here is like the observer. Yeah. When you observe it, boom, something different happens. So once again, the theory tells you what happened when somebody observed the wave or observed the, like, observed the phenomenon. What is the observer? And so what is this a wave of? Because I, I guess probably physicists at the time felt much more comfortable with things that are waves. You know, they know about equations of waves, uh, electromagnetism, things like that. When they saw Schrodinger's interpretation, that must have been the one they were drawn to. But then we start to see, no, this isn't a wave. And in fact, uh, Ronan in the question, questions has already sort of asked, is the wave function of Schrodinger's equation a mathematical tool to understand quantum particles? Or is it something which exists in reality, like the electromagnetic field? So 
I think that question is already getting to sort of what what is this and uh, and um, you know I think that there's suddenly a realization no this is not this is almost like a a crime wave or a, 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 you you compare it sometimes to the weather forecast it's a forecast of what might happen perhaps you could explain a little bit about what this wave really is that's a that's a core of the matter that's the core of the current discussion of how to think about quantum mechanics and uh, uh, the reality is that we have different options there are different options on the table and these options take us in different directions. And uh, to simplify drastically, I mean, we're not doing a full course of the definition of quantum mechanics. The option is to think that the wave is real. That's what it is. There is a wave there. And then to come up with a story, why, why do we see it in the, the electron point? That's one option. And the other option is to say, no, 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 that's misleading. I mean, the wave is like the wave forecast, as you say. Uh, it's, it's not that... Uh, if, if, if a wave forecast tells me that tomorrow there is 20% chance of snow, which is the case here in Canada, tomorrow there is 20% chance of snow, unfortunately, and 30% chance of rain and 80% chance of whatever, 60% chance of sunshine, it doesn't mean that tomorrow there are all these things together. It means just, you know, one of the two is real and the other is just my calculation because I don't know for some other reason. Um, I am in favor of the second interpretation of the, of the wave. The wave is not real. And I think that, uh, Marcus, as you, as you said, uh, in the 20s and 30s, um, the physicists were very familiar with, with wave equations, differential equations, you know, Maxwell equations, heat equations, and so on and so forth. Um, so they jumped on, 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 on Schrodinger formulation. And the mat nobody knew matrices. And in fact, if you do things precisely, these matrices are infinite dimensional matrices. So funny, horrible things. And it, and it took big mathematicians like uh, von Neumann to come out and put all this in order. And there's, you know, trace class operators, von Neumann algebras, or heavy mathematics, uh, which everybody hates. The physicists use mathematics, but many physicists hate mathematics. Sorry, you're a mathematician, <laughs> you know that. <laughs> so they went to the mathematics that it was familiar which is, you know, waves. Uh, okay, wave, we, we, we understand. So everybody had in mind that quantum mechanics is about a wave, and that, in my opinion, um, leads to this, um, to the view of quantum mechanics as a, as a theory of the wave function, uh, um, which is very misleading. It's not impossible, but it takes you in strange places. And, I, and let me tell you what, where it takes you. Um, the wave arrives at the screen, okay? So in some sense, the electron is here and also here and also here and also here, it's everywhere. So now you, Marcus, look at the screen and see the electron in one point. Okay, where is, how, how is it possible? Well, here is a wave answer. If you believe in the wave, you have to say the following. Ah, you, Marcus, are also a wave, a big wave, okay? So your wave now has many components. In your wave, there's a Marcus that has seen the electron here, a Marcus that has seen the electron here, a Marcus has seen the electron here. So if you believe in the way now, you have to believe that there are many copies of yourself that wave out, that spread out in the space of possibility, and they're all real. And this is the called many-world interpretation of quantum theory. It's a viable interpretation. It's in the sense that it's not contradictory in itself, and it's not contradictory what we observe, but 
if we go that way, we are saying, okay, so quantum mechanics is telling us that we are just uh, sitting in one branch of a huge thing in which there are all sorts of copies of ourselves seeing something else. And just to say that this, what, what you've just described, that particular model, uh, I mean, some people who've encountered quantum physics uh, know that there's a kind of probabilistic element to it you you've just managed to remove with that particular story um you, you know there's there's no dice now rolling to decide which one's happening this is a a kind of uh interpretation which is trying to say no i mean in some sense everything happens and my consciousness i suppose is is split and i'm sort of will see one but there'll be many of me seeing others i mean it it seems a very um uh sort of expensive theory in a way because i've got to have so many you're absolutely right there is no there's no probability anymore Oh, the probability is is is, is your, your 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 lack of knowledge. You don't know which one you are among the many ones of you, right? Yeah. Uh, and 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 you see one thing because you happen to be there. Okay. I mean, if I look around, I see Canada because I happen to be here, not because Canada is preferred by itself. So it's, it's the same idea, and uh, it it is really a crazy idea because it forces to to believe that there there are infinite copies of ourselves. Um, but look, your colleagues in Oxford uh, physics, uh, philosophy department, many of them are enamored with this year and they're obviously very smart guys uh, <laughs> who, who, who love it. I don't like it. I think that um, we can make sense of quantum mechanics um, in another way, which is also very radical, but it doesn't force us to uh, multiply worlds. Yeah. And, and but, I think... But, but, so just before, I mean, I'm quite interested because um, it seems like your your sort of take is is yeah no we must think that there is some uh, kind of roll of the dice which uh, decides. I mean, yeah. people might have heard of this thing, the collapse of the wave function, which in a sense is when that observer makes it. There's a roll of the dice, and and somehow um, the whether it rains today or not, you know, wh where the electron appears. So uh, that that you're going for that kind of direction of yes, there's a exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. So when the when the wave arrives on the screen, and you see the 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 the, the, the particle on the screen in one position, uh, it's really a probabilistic thing. So uh, nature doesn't know what's go what nature is going to do tomorrow. Uh, yeah. What happened today does not determine uh, what happened tomorrow, which is a notion which is uh, you know surprising to us because we have been used to Newton theory. Yeah, or not even Newton theory because Newton believed in the rearrangement. Uh, sort of yes, yeah, but he thought there was 18th, an eighteenth-century evolution of Newton theory. Where Laplace but I suppose we, company... if we come to Laplace, you know, Laplace said Laplace, you know, the, right. the current uh, setup of the universe determines the past and the future. But um, I mean, in this model, I mean, it's very challenging that you know I, I think as a mathematician maybe uh, I, I really are hankering after determinism because I, I chose maths because I love proof and knowing exactly when something's right and and this part of the story really unsettles me I think I you know I quite drawn to that many worlds because I, I, I I'm looking for any way to get rid of some randomness I mean that just feels like oh but are you happy with that do you feel that is how the thing is or or just that's a very good I mean, in sense, you know, I've got a dice here. We we had a randomness model. Of course, we could do very careful physics on that and work out how it lands, but that's not a very good way to to model what happens in on the craps table. I mean, do you think it's genuinely random, or it's just this is the best tool and we we may never know? I mean, and in fact, I think in the book you say, you know, it's open. 
whether it's going to be genuinely random or not. I mean, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm in favor of genuinely, genuinely random, but let me articulate better the, the point here. Um, we are not asking what the ultimate truth. That's a bad question. Because if you're asking what the ultimate truth, uh, I mean, come on, do you know? No, I mean, I don't. Does anybody know? What are you saying? Well, actually, I can read in the mind of God that the ultimate truth must be determinism. And they're like, come on, I mean, what do you know? I mean, as, as Bohr was always telling Einstein, uh, I mean, let the old guy decide by himself. What, why do you want to teach him <laughs> how to arrange the world? Um, so I think if we put in terms of the ultimate truth, we, we get confused and we risk to do a mistake, which is to, you know, we get to good ideas and we hang on to these good ideas and we want to, and, and, and that's why I was thinking determinism is a recent idea historically. I understand why you like it so much. You're a mathematician. <laughs> I obviously understand it. Um, but, you know, if you had told any human before Laplace, uh, you really believe that the present determined the future, he would have said, no, why? I mean, you just, just throw dice and I, I got an idea, something fall from the sky. Um, if you, it's even stronger than that because, um, in special relativity, the past, it's a funny notion. What you mean by past is careful. So we think it's a time slice, another time slice, but in special relativity, this is not determined. You have a point, you, you have a cone, and that's a past. And then of course, the future of that point is not determined by that past because you know new things come in. So determinism, it's a great uh, result of classical mechanics. Uh, it's completely ideal because in reality, you know, there is chaos and it's not, doesn't mean that you can predict things because uh, most systems, uh, whatever your accuracy of knowing the present, you can always find a time where you just get lost and you can't predict anything. So it's really an idealization determinism. And the fact that uh, studying atoms uh, down there we find that things are not deterministic, but things that can be deterministic because of the law of large numbers, because the probabilities that go, you know, if you um, if you throw your, your dice many, many times, you can predict that the, the, the number of, uh, of head, uh, the, the fluctuation becomes small relatively to the, to the number of, uh, of thrown. Um, that's, that's, that's possible. I'm not, I don't find this disturbing. So I find it uh, less disturbing than thinking the infinite copies of myself. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, I, I want to get to the heart of the book, which in some sense is the kind of revolutionary part, which is, um, you know, a quite recent uh, interpretation of quantum physics, uh, which, uh, you know, you've been part of this story, um, in fact, uh, initiated the story is, uh, I, I think, I mean, Everett, I, you, you credit as uh, Hugh Everett, who was the many worlds has sort of started to think of this idea, something called uh, relational interpretation of quantum physics. And, and, and if I, uh, I mean, in some sense, one of the challenges is 
hey, what is this observation that's going on? And, you know, uh, one person observes it, but what about when an another person looks at it? I mean, perhaps you could uh, uh, give us some, some uh, uh, insight into this new way of looking at things. And I, I think when you talk about Schrodinger's cat, that for me was uh, really made me see that challenge of Schrodinger's cat in a, in a new way, which kind of just made the thing make a lot more sense than it ever has done before for me. Yeah, thank you. So the, the relational interpretation, I've worked on it. I mean, there have been many developments by other people, uh, several philosophers have, have, have contributed to it. It's, uh, and, and, um, it, it, it's, an, it's a definitive alternative to, to many worlds. And uh, uh, the, the main, uh, as you said, the main idea is, oh, no, there is really a probability. I mean, when, the, when, when, when I look at the, uh, 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 the electron, uh, it's really either here or there with a certain probability. But let me tell you what is a core idea. I'll tell you this way. Um, I'll tell you what is wrong, okay? What is wrong is the following. Aha, this is, this is wrong. Um, the theory of quantum mechanics is telling me what we observe. So when my mind sees something, uh, something happened. So the lecton is collapsed when my mind sees it. So that something happens when there is a mind of a human or a physicist, I don't know, a white physicist, a man physicist, <laughs> somebody with a PhD, a box. Um, the mistake here is the mind or the special observer. Um, and uh, the way I have to, uh, the best way I found to present it is to, to go back to an observation by Bohr, who's a big father of all the story of quantum mechanics, uh, in which after all Schrodinger, Heidegger, he tried to capture the core story. And he said, uh, uh, in a laboratory, a quantum system, um, when we talk about its properties, we always have to talk its properties relatively to the measuring apparatus. So if there's one measuring apparatus, there are some kind of properties. It's a different measuring apparatus, there are some kind of properties. The property by itself make no sense. They only... Now, he was right. He called this contextuality. And it's a, it's a word which is used to, 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 to mean this. I'm going to describe a, a, a quantum system, an atom, in the context of a measuring apparatus. But at the time of Bohr, uh, it was only laboratory stuff. Now we know that quantum mechanics is good in the star, in the galaxies, in the early universe. We know quantum mechanics is good all over. So it's nothing to do with laboratory. It's nothing to do with measuring apparatus. But, and this is a key point, it has to do with whatever is around and the atom is interacting with. So if there is an atom on, 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 on Venus, which is interacting with a rock, the properties of the atom relatively to that rock, which is interacting with, uh, make sense, or relatively to some, I don't know, electric field on, the, on Venus, uh, it's interacting, it, it makes sense. But the property of atom by itself do not make sense. So there's no observer here. There's no mind. There's no human being. There's no person with a PhD. There's no laboratory. It's property of object relatively to something else. So the key idea of the relational interpretation is uh, when we say that an object has property, we might forget to say it, but we're always saying this is a, a, it's not a property of the object by itself. It's relatively to some other object. Um, and what the property is really describing how the two interact, how one object affects another object in an interaction. And this is sufficient to take us out of the woods. Because uh, um, 
there's never a collapse of the wave function, if you want, um, is that when the electron interacts with the screen, it has a specific position. When it has interacted with me, it doesn't have a specific position. So I can do weather forecast and, 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 uh, and have a wave function that tells me where it might interact with the screen. And, and uh, you, 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 you mentioned the Schrodinger cat. This is a famous situation in which, uh, like the electron is spread between different positions, uh, we can think, um, of course, it's almost impossible to make the experiment, but uh, in, a priori, you can think of the cat is spread between uh, two, two situations, a sleepy cat and an alive, and, and, and awake cat. So what does it mean? It means that if I interact with a cat, that's not never going to happen. If I interact with a cat, the cat is either awake or asleep. Because with respect to me, the cat it's. But with respect to itself, he might interact with a quantum system. Okay, and in my mind, I can think: Look, quantum system could have been this way and this way. So it's like the cat is in both both position. Okay. But this is because I'm thinking property with respect to me. And in, in that moment, the cat is not interacting with me. So I can think it's a superposition, but I'm only making calculation of what's gonna happen later on. And whatever is gonna happen later on, it will be just one. So with respect to himself, the cat is just awake or sleepy. But what's gonna happen later on, I should not assume, and that's the key point of the discovery of quantum mechanics, I should not assume that since the cat is either awake or sleepy with respect to himself, I can use that in my calculation to determine what's going to happen later on. Because what is going to happen later on for me is determined by properties of the cat with respect to me, not with respect to himself. So this is, I don't know if whoever is uh, listening to us can follow the detail of this point, but the point is that we can avoid this multiplication of reality by realizing that properties of things don't belong to the thing itself, but are bridges between things. So relations, uh, all everything is relational in that sense. And that's the name relational interpretation of quantum mechanics. I mean, I, I thought this was, you know, really striking because it it means that we have to i mean this is your point in the book we sort of have to give up on this idea of some absolute reality out there which we are trying to uh sort of uh, see what's going on there that that uh, i mean in the same way that you know einstein disrupted our sense of there not being an absolute time an absolute yeah. space all of that you know here uh, I think it's taken some time for us to realize we, we have to understand that a, the properties of things are not a, a absolute. It doesn't have a position. It doesn't have a, uh, I mean, uh, one of, I remember one physicist saying ob observation is creation in, in some sense, you know, these, these things, but, but this is more about, you know, it's uh, this relative thing, you know, what something is for me will be different for, for, for yeah. the cat, for example, the cat. Uh, and, for me, there, there's enough information there that means I, I that it is actually in superposition for me, the, yeah. the, the dead and alive. I mean, it's not that I don't know. I mean, I think you make a very good point that it's not just lack of knowledge. It's not a sort of Bayesian thing that, um, no, genuinely, this thing ha is giving off signals that it is in superposition for me. But yeah. um, uh, And also, there was something striking that, that I didn't appreciate before out of this, that in a way, you're saying that there's a wave equation almost, there's not just one wave equation, there's almost a wave equation describing uh, 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 
everybody's relationship to everything else, as it were. I mean, your multi, your your many worlds is is somehow is that right? Many kind of um, uh, 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 yeah. wave functions that, uh, that yeah. describe each of the different relationships of one thing to another. This relational. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a, a crucial part. There's there's one wave function for each observer, so to say. But that's you see, uh, if you think for one instant, that has to be true. Uh, that's necessarily true because uh, look, um, it, it's going to be true also in many worlds. It's going to be true in any interpretation of quantum mechanics because uh, look, it, it, now people make these um, um, entangled states, right? With a particle here and a particle there, which are entangled. There's a state. Uh, that entangle the two. Suppose somebody does that. You know, the Chinese have done that with two particles uh, several hundred kilometers distance. Now, suppose you, Marcus, are in a laboratory, you see one of these particles, and it, you don't look at the other one, you just interact with this. You use a wave, a quantum state, the wave function of this particle, you use that one. The other is just not existing for you. Yeah. And it's perfectly consistent, perfectly clear. That's what you do in quantum theory. So every time you use a wave function in quantum theory, you're actually ignoring that there could be a, an entangle with something else. And somebody else might use a completely different wave function because they, somebody who could access both informations would have to use a different wave function, which also keep that into account. This is the, the observation of that really goes back to Everett. Uh, the, the, the quantum state and the wave function that we use in our calculation when we do quantum mechanics, uh, it's always a relative wave function. It's always relative to what we just have interacted with. I see the electron spin up and I write on my piece of paper, the wave function is spin up. But this doesn't mean that another observer is not in the possibility of you know, having a more complicated wave function where there are correlation with something else. So yes. The wave function itself is relative, yeah. Uh, because the and 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 the properties are relative, and you know, relative properties are not some. They're always hard to digest, but they're very common. And the the quintessential relative quantity is velocity. And uh, we know that velocity. Every every physicist, every person who has followed carefully in high school a physics class knows that velocity is relative, right? When a, when a mother on a train tells to her kid that don't move, she doesn't mean that the kid should jump out of the train and stop moving, <laughs> right? Yes, if yes. they say jump out of the window, the mother says, no, I didn't mean that. So velocity zero doesn't mean velocity zero yeah. with respect to the earth. She's saying don't move with respect to the train. Right. So implicitly, and, and if we are on Earth and I say don't move, uh, I don't mean that you have to jump out of the Earth and don't move with respect yeah, exactly. to the sun or the galaxy or something else. So velocity is always relative. When I say that some, some object has certain velocity, I'm always referring that to something else. There's no velocity by itself of an object. And this is very hard to digest if you really think carefully that it's true. Right, because a stone out there in away from anything doesn't have a velocity. It doesn't mean anything to have a velocity. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't mean anything where it's moving or not. But we have sort of understood that. We're happy. I mean, really, this is a discovery of classical mechanics. It's a discovery of Newton, Galileo, Huygens, all that bunch of people there. Now, I think that uh, 
Quantum mechanics is the discovery that uh, that's true, not just for velocity, for speed at which things move, but for everything, the mass, yeah. the position, the color, the charge, all the properties, they are all relative. It doesn't make sense to attribute to an object. We have, it's, they, they are relative to another object. And they might be relative to something. So this same object can have a property with respect to you and not to me. Uh, of course, uh, quantum mechanics affects us more because the Planck constant is small. So if you actually go in the equation, you realize that once you have big things with many degrees of freedom, all this relational aspect becomes invisible. So the discrepancy are very small. That's why we see all the same world, we interact with the same world. The classical world emerges as a very good approximation of what happens. So you, you can forget this relational aspect once you have microscopic things. But as soon as you isolate things and look at the detail, you discover that you cannot attribute properties to object anymore. You have to remember that properties are relational. And that's the relational interpretation of quantum mechanics. And I think that if one buys that, the theory makes sense. I don't know whether you've heard um, this uh, idea that every book, if you look on page 69, it basically tells you the essence of the book. Um, no. But but yours no. actually works quite well because on page 69, it says the discovery of quantum physics, I believe, is the discovery that the properties of, uh, of any entity are nothing other than the way in which that entity influences others. It exists only through its interactions. Quantum theory is the theory of how things influence each other. So I, I use it passes uh, page 69 test. Now I'm, I'm very keen with there's lots of lovely questions coming in. So um, uh, let, let's get to a few of those because uh, I don't want to hog all your time. Well, it's, it's, it's um, you know, great to, to discuss this because I, I found this book absolutely, um, uh, I mean, such, I, I think there are two people who I've heard talk about quantum physics um, which give me a deep understanding. Your book and uh, Roger Penrose as well is the person oh, who can write. Oh, Marcus, you, 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 you. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed. And thank you for this. Uh, no, <laughs> certainly, uh, yeah. So I recommend both uh, Roger and, and and Carlo for this book. Anyway, here, here's a question. What about um, yes, uh, from Alan Thomas? He says, with uncertainty, views, ways, etc. How on earth can quantum computers be constructed? That seems to be one of the big technologies, and that might be the next ten years. We've already heard Google claiming to have what 50 odd qubits together but you know you talked about it these things being on the very small are, are we ever going to have a uh, uh, you know the thing so it isn't decohering and stuff like that what's your view on the quantum computer as a as a, a possible reality as we go forward yeah so quantum mechanics is uh, it's uh, it's mysterious in what it tells us about the world but it's very clear in the applications we we have no doubts about how to apply quantum when when we we use it to build something we know what we put in and we know what's going to come out we don't know what happened <laughs> in between but the, the theory is uh, is solid rock in, and and so far 100 years it's always fine so for applications, quantum mechanics is, is, is solid and applications have been um, increasing and quantum computing is certainly a very um, challenging and, and uh, promising application. Um, there are quantum computers out there. Um, I've used, I've, I've, I've had a little, run, a little program running on a quantum computer. It's very simple, very stupid. I'm not good in these things. Um, there is a lot of hope that they can be scaled up, scaled up and uh, uh, 
work much better than present computers. So uh, uh, allow us to do things which we cannot do on quantum computing. The hope is real, uh, so much real that uh, big founding agencies like Europe have uh, uh, putting uh, millions of euros on this uh, uh, project. So it's, it's serious and the people who are working on uh, are, are very serious. Um, is it sure that they're gonna work? No, it's not sure. I think it's uh, uh, it's uh, uh, it's it's possible, uh, but I think if you want to be fully honest, it, it's a research with with a margin of risk, not because uh, you know there is anything intrinsically impossible. A priori, yes, you can make a quantum computer, but in a sense, to make a quantum computer that work, you have to isolate. You see, as soon as things interact with the rest, uh, the quantum properties are diluted and, and you don't see that anymore and behave classically. So to exploit the quantum, uh, the, the quantum aspect of things, you have to isolate it very well. So the question is that, all right, you can make quantum computer with 10 little chips or 15 hour, maybe more, but can we scale up to when it becomes useful? Uh, I am not a technology expert. Uh, as a theoretician, I put my here my hands in my ears say really they can do that but you know people in technology can do things that surprise the theoretician so i hope yeah. they're right yeah um uh, there's a question from david turner which is kind of interesting because uh, uh i mean we said the, the the many worlds interpretation uh somehow it requires making infinitely many worlds that we're all and that seems very ex kind of extravagant um but he, he somehow raises the point isn't the relationship interpretation also quite extravagant in a way i mean there's you know you're going to have to have every atom has an equal number of properties or potential properties in terms of the way it interacts with literally everything else i mean um i, I suppose it's that idea of interaction it is just the fact that gravity of one particle on the other side of the galaxy you know is very small but are we got have we got infinitely many interactions that we've got to keep track of and and maybe is that as as extravagant as the many worlds um, idea okay let me answer yes and no uh yes because it is extravagant yes there is some level of extravagancy uh as well uh nobody has come out so far to any way of looking quantum mechanic, which is not extravagant in one way or the other, okay? The only non-extravagant way of looking at quantum mechanics is I don't want to think about that. Uh, I use, I know how to use, I, 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 I put the numbers, come out numbers. I don't want to know what happened in between. That's the only non-extravagant way of looking at quantum mechanics. Um, but if you try to ask the question, what is really happening and how can I use this to understand better nature, you end up one way or the other uh, to something either extravagant or uh, likely improved, uh, some guess, some wild guess. So having said so, what you said about um, uh, uh, be, having properties with respect to all the other particles of the galaxy is no, 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 that's not the point. Yeah. The point is not that um, a, 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 an object uh, has property with respect to anything, any single other thing in the universe. No, no, it has, doesn't. It only has properties uh, with respect to the thing it's actually interacting with. So there isn't this incredible multiplication of things. So the theory is not about properties, it's about what happened in interactions. So in the moment in which this pen and I 
enters into some kind of interphysical interaction, some exchange of photons, I touch it, whatever interaction, the properties of the pen have meaning only in that moment. So in fact, there is less reality than in classical mechanics, not mm -hmm. more reality than in quantum, in classical mechanics. In classical mechanics, an electron always have a position, even if it's not interacting with anything else. In the relation to position of quantum mechanics, there's less reality, less reality is far more sparse. Mm. There's an entity which I can call electron, there's an entity which I can call me, and once in a while they interact, and only when they interact, uh, there is the, the two have properties with respect to one another. There, there are so many questions here. We could keep going for um, hours, actually, um, but we're sort of uh, getting towards the end of our five by I'll, twelve. Um, I'll be short. Uh, and one from from Isra uh, Gashi, which I think is you know you, you wrote an article in the Guardian this morning um, about these new discoveries that were mentioned uh, last week. You know, discovery of a new fundamental fifth fundamental force and new muon or something. Uh, um, but you were quite skeptical uh, this morning in the Guardian uh, about um, this kind of discovery. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I hope this discovery will be confirmed. It's not, uh, I mean, all my wishes that uh, there is a hint of something new. Um, but what I was pointing out is that uh, uh, the, the hint of something new um, that we have heard in the last uh, 30 years, uh, have been many and so far all have been, uh, have disappeared. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and if you talk to the physicists, the experimentalists, the theoreticians, you sit down and say, well, explain me exactly what's going on. That's exactly what they say. So uh, it's, it's not that I'm saying something really controversial. Is that when every time there's an excitement, or maybe we've seen something new, uh, and uh, and uh, uh, and it goes to the newspapers, and uh, the the caution it disappears when it gets to the first page of the Guardian. Um, and I compare that to the fact that the actual confirmed great experimental discoveries, like the Higgs, the black holes, the gravitational waves, quantum entanglement, they're of a different kind. They're not really something new. It's something that we see new, some astonishing phenomena, but something which is predicted by our theory. So nature is a remarkable, has been remarkably conservative in the last decades. Nature has been telling us, you were right in what you thought in the 70s, and all your speculations after that, for the moment, they were wrong. <laughs> um, just a, a last one. Um, uh, uh, Marsha and Nick Bicat sort of talk a little bit about sort of, uh, the impact of this kind of new interpretation sort of on us as humans in a way. I mean, uh, Marsha says in a, that they have a similar idea in psychotherapy that you co-create meaning between two people, which is interesting. And, uh, and Nick mentions about biology and, and, and I suppose there's an interesting passage in the book about consciousness, uh, how, you know, you, you're not, you're not saying that this is going to give the answer to consciousness, but, but you say that actually it might help us reframe the, the, the actual question. Um, uh, uh, could you give us a little hint about why this uh, interpretation might be have impact beyond uh, trying to understand quantum physics? Yes, uh, yeah, definitely you're right. I'm, uh, no way that this is an explanation of consciousness or anything like that, I mean, by far, not, not at all. Uh, but we have some intuitions uh, in, uh, in when we think about the world, which we ground on physics, uh, 
which forbid us to, 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 to think something. Uh, so we use the, 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 the apparent uh, classical solidity of physics uh, to say, for instance, come on, I mean, it's impossible that my subjectivity could be coherent with the fundamental laws of physics because the fundamental laws of physics are just stones bouncing around each other with its own properties. This sense of impossibility, it's grounded in an understanding of physics, which is wrong. That's not what physics is telling about the world. Physics is telling about the world that uh, uh, you understand reality in terms of how things influence one another. And now uh, to, to come closer to what you're saying, uh, I hear psychologists and people in economics who tell me, well, well we know that. And psychologists know that you better understand reality in terms of relations. In fact, I'm not pretending to tell a psychologist uh, uh, something new. I'm just saying, um, that understanding of the world in terms of relations uh, is probably the best way of understanding nature, even at the fundamental level. And that's a, that's a novelty of quantum theory. Great. I think we're uh, our five by twelve is up now. So um, uh, thank you so much, Carlo. For uh, and there's so many more questions. Such a, we 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 should be here for longer. But um, I, I mean, it's a it's an extraordinary theory. Uh, I mean, R Richard Feynman said. It's absolutely necessary for progress in science to have uncertainty as a fundamental part of your inner nature. So if you're feeling still rather <laughs> uncertain uh, at the end of this hour, don't despair. That's exactly how every scientist feels after they've been on the journey, how for even, you know, for more than just five by 12. So um, thank you, Carlo, for taking us on a, on a whirlwind tour through one of the most extraordinary theories uh, in science. Thank you very much, uh, Marcus. You've been very generous and I appreciate it very much. Thank you very much.